Today on the Matt Wall Show, with the What is a Woman question going mainstream, helpfully coinciding with the announcement of my upcoming What is a Woman documentary, we should probably try to figure out why exactly this question is so confusing to people. To that end, there are a couple points that I think are often overlooked. We'll talk about that. Also, Joe Biden has more good news. Food shortages are on the horizon. And North Korea releases an unintentionally hilarious hype video for their new missile that they just launched. Plus, a heterosexual journalist comes out as queer, though he's still heterosexual. How does that work? And we debate the question, is it racist to tip? In our daily cancellation, a relationship guru gives some life hacks for how to date, quote unquote, 15 men in 21 days as she did. I think I know the answer, though it's probably not the one that she would give. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So I've been talking to you a lot lately about inflation. We've all been talking about it. When inflation is at 7% like it is now, that paper money in your wallet is losing value fast. And Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine has now worsened the market's slow decline today. An ounce of gold is worth $1,900. It was worth about $300 an ounce in, two, in uh, 2000. So that tells you where the stability is. I've been telling you for a while that you can buy gold from Birch Gold. It's your hedge against inflation. Did you know that there's another way to hedge against inflation also, though? Uh, that's buy silver from Birch Gold. Silver is also considered real money, and historically speaking, it's extremely undervalued right now. It's an industrial metal. It's in high demand for everything from electronic cars to solar panels. Demand is only going to rise, and some analysts suggest that there is an unusual dislocation in price that may present very real opportunities for silver to rally over uh, the next two years. Regardless, Silver, like gold, is never going to zero. The American dollar is currently going into the toilet while precious metals are rising in value thanks to the Fed. Call Birch Gold. They're the only company I trust. Don't wait. Start diversifying. Text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on buying gold or silver in a tax-sheltered account. There is no obligation to get this info. Text Walsh to 989898 to get your free info kit now. Yesterday, we announced my upcoming documentary, What is a Woman? We uh, didn't expect, as we were making the film, that a Supreme Court nominee would do so much to help promote it right before the release. In fact, there were many things that happened around this film and while making it that we didn't quite expect. Uh, the short teaser that we released yesterday shows a little bit of what we did expect, which is that lots of people are unable to answer the titular question. And that also that politicians, in this case, Congressman Mark Takano of California, uh, would be very upset when, when we asked it. But there's much more to the film, much, much more, uh, some of which you, you'll see when we drop the full trailer soon. And then, of course, nothing will be able to beat the experience of watching the actual film itself when it comes out in May. If you've been hesitating on getting a DW membership up until this point, I think I would tell you that now is the time because uh, you're going to want to see this film. People will be talking about it. We did some things in this movie that nobody's ever done before. And that's not an exaggeration. And I, I can't say a lot, but I'll also say that we we deployed some methods in order to, to secure some of these interviews that have been used by other films plenty of times, but never by anybody on the right. So you have to see it for yourself. You can go to whatisawoman.com for uh, more information. When I got home from work last night, speaking of the film, I, I, um, I found out that my wife had showed the teaser to my kids uh, you know, they they aren't going to be able to watch the movie when it comes out. It's not going to be appropriate for them. And the full trailer and most other clips that come out of this thing will also probably not be appropriate for them. So this is a one piece that they could watch. And in fairness, you know, they've wanted to know why I've been traveling and have been gone so much over the past year. I went to Africa. Like, they don't really know why any of this is happening. Um, and now they know, sort of, but are even more confounded than they were before, probably. My daughter especially thought it was absolutely 
hysterical that a bunch of grown-ups couldn't explain what a woman is. You know, she asked me what was wrong with all those people. And I said that lots of people in the world today are very confused. And it's very sad. And she said, so, so they really don't even know what a woman is? And I said, no, they don't. Or at least they say they don't. Do you know? And she quickly answered that a woman has girl parts and she makes babies. It's about the shortest, simplest, and most correct answer I've heard. I, I literally traveled the globe for a year, talked to doctors and scientists and psychiatrists and so many other credentialed so-called experts, and then finally got the right answer when I came home and uh, asked my eight-year-old daughter. Something quite profound about that, yet also extremely sad and terrifying. But as to the what is a woman question, as it goes mainstream finally, as it becomes inescapable, even for those who want nothing more than to escape it, I think there are a few crucial points to be made, which, which have so far perhaps gotten lost in the shuffle. Um, and these all revolve around a different question, and that is, why are we going through this civilization-wide identity crisis? Why have we tried to turn physical identity into a complicated subject? Why do we treat it as ambiguous, as abstract, uh, ephemeral? I think there are two, two, there are lots of reasons, but there are two big reasons that we should think about focus on. One, you know, I've said many times that there is a vast chasm, a canyon separating the two ideological sides in this country, uh, an expanse that cannot be bridged because people on either side of it have diametrically opposed views about the most basic elements of reality, such as, you know, is there such a thing as a woman? What is a woman? Like you can't, there's no compromised position between those two, between those two sides. And that's all true. But that picture of a society that is kind of cut in half with this huge dark pit between them that nobody can bridge, that picture is pretty bleak. It's actually, though, a, a bit too neat, too tidy. It's actually more optimistic than what is the truth. It's a fine way of thinking about our cultural situation generally, kind of from a bird's eye view. But when you look closer, you see that while there is a chasm separating the two sides, there are also a bunch of smaller chasms separating each individual, or at least each individual on one of those sides. This is the relativist project. The relativist tries to lay claim to his own reality, his own universe. There's no shared universe. There's no common reality at all. Each individual's identity is determined by the individual. Nothing external has any say. There are no determinative factors on the outside. Each person is a self-creating being, which, of course, is a paradox. You can't create yourself because in order to create anything, you first have to be a self. Just as you can't determine your own identity because in order to determine anything, you first must have an identity. Your identity comes from, your, your identity comes first. You, know, you can determine quite a lot in life. You can make many choices. But you're doing all of those things. You're acting in the world as a self whose basic biological identity was decided by someone or something other than yourself. You know, yourself cannot determine who yourself is at such a basic level. Because there has to be a self first that can do any determining at all. That's the reality, but the left-wing gender ideologues reject it. And so... Uh, the left-wing gender ideologue is stuck in this kind of paradoxical, self-perpetuating train of circular logic where statements like, a woman is anybody who identifies as a woman, seem to make sense. But they only seem to make sense to the gender ideologue because 
he is, his, you know, he is a stuck in a sort of circular world where everything is running in, in a circle. And so statements of circular logic, he just doesn't see it for the nonsense that it is. Second thing, part of the reason that people in our culture seek to reject their natural identity, and this is really important, and I don't think it's not talked about nearly enough. Part of why, you know, they, they want to see identity as fluid and arbitrary, superficial, is because they seek to escape the duties and responsibilities that attend your natural identity. So this is how you bridge the gap between the left-wing war on gender roles and their current obsession with gender fluidity. At first glance, it seems contradictory. And it is, because for years they said that there are no gender roles and there's no, you know, so there's nothing wrong with a boy dressing in pink and wearing a skirt like a boy can do whatever he wants. There's, a, there's nothing about his boyness that should uh, compel him to act in any kind of way. That's what they said for years. And now they say that a boy who dresses in pink and wears a skirt actually is a girl. So that, that would seem to be a complete reversal, wouldn't it? And it is in a way. But the one thing that ties all of this together is the rejection of natural roles, natural responsibilities. We cannot say that a man has any particular duty as a man if the word man doesn't mean anything. Same for woman. You know, one thing I found uh, during my travels, and there's much more to be said about this, uh, a whole separate documentary on just this alone could be made and should be made. Um, and maybe I will be the one to make it if no one else does. But one thing I found is that whenever I encountered somebody with a strong sense of responsibility, I was also encountering somebody with a strong sense of identity. Every single person I talked to who knew exactly who they were, and there weren't a lot of those people, but the ones that I did find, they also knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing. People who know and accept what they are and who they are and what they're supposed to do, they're never confused about who they are. The problem is that there are so few people in that category in the West anymore, which is partly why we went all the way into you know, Africa, into the African wilderness. And when we got down there, we found a small society, tribal society, totally organized around the concept of responsibility. It's, it's responsibility, your duties, your roles, bleeds into every aspect of your life, everything that you do. Everybody has a role, and they know what it is, and so they don't question who they are. In fact, if you ask them who they are, as I did, the first thing they'll tell you is what they do, what their duties are. That's how closely the two things are intertwined. They don't even see any distinction between it. A man is what a man does. Now, they also understand the biological parts of it. A man has a penis and all that. But if you ask, him what a, if you ask someone in one of those societies what a man is, and I can tell you this now from experience, um, the first thing they're going to tell you about is what the man is supposed to do. They're not going to tell you oh, that he's a male and he has a penis. The reason they won't tell you that is because they, they think, well, that's just so obvious. Why would I say that? Of course, everybody knows that. They assume I meant like on a, on a sort of deeper level. A man is what a man does. Now, in the West, we, we forgot what a man is supposed to do. And then it didn't take long before we also forgot who he is. And that is no coincidence. As you'll see when the film comes out. What is a woman.com? Let's get now to our five headlines. 
Have you ever wanted to send your uncle a birthday greeting from one of his favorite conservative celebrities or have your favorite freedom-loving comedian roast that one liberal cousin nobody likes in the family? Well, there's only one place to make that reality, and it's with the new app called Shoutout. The most popular personalities on the right are ready to make someone's day with a personalized video. Download Shoutout now on the App Store and Google Play to get 20% off your first customized Shoutout video from the likes of Steven Crowder, the Hodge Twins, J.P. Sears, Jason Whitlock, Alex Jones, and many more of your favorite conservative uh, celebrities. Download the Shout Out app today. I just got this text from my sister. I just think this is great. And it's a new kind of, uh, I don't know, this is, this is a monetizable thing that we can explore here. I'd never thought about this before. But uh, she just texted me this. I mean, she texted me right before I went on air. So I, look, I, if you do that, I think everyone in my life should know. You text me right before, before airtime, I, I have the right to just read your text publicly. So, um, she said, I have to tell you the funniest thing. My coworker is a big fan of yours. She was just telling me that she has a problem at her house with a fox attacking her chickens, and she's been trying to deter it. She heard that human voices are a deterrent, so she set up an iPod near her chicken coop and has your podcast running on a loop 24-7 very loudly, and it worked. Your voice is apparently a successful fox deterrent, and as a bonus, she's evangelizing her liberal neighbor. So that is... Uh, and then we're racking up those downloads as well. I kind I kind of like this. If you got any problems with with, I, I think in general, even if you don't have a chicken coop, you've got wild animals out there. You've got maybe raccoons getting into your garbage. Just set up the podcast, have it running on a loop, and uh, and then yeah, that is also the bonus is that you're you're going to be driving your neighbors completely insane. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment that my voice scares away wild animals. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's start with this. Joe Biden yesterday, uh, he's just a guy full of good news. You can remember before, you know, we, we had the first day of spring this uh, this this week, and so winter's officially over. And we remember we go back to whatever whatever it was November December. Joe Biden promised us a winter of death and sickness and despair, and didn't seem to be that for me. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it seems like. Um, the winter wasn't too bad, but he, he promised it would be a, a, a winter of death. And uh, winter of death didn't exactly work out. But now, maybe we'll have a spring of death because he says that uh, food shortages are on the horizon. Listen. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did re- re- talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. And uh, because both uh, Russia and Ukraine have been the breadbasket of Europe in terms of wheat, for example, just give you one example. But we had a long discussion uh, in the G7 with uh, um, the uh, with both uh, the United States, which has a, as a significant the third largest producer of wheat in the world, as well as Canada, which is also a major, major producer. And we both talked about how we could increase and disseminate more rapidly food food shortages. And in addition to that, we talked about uh, urging all the European countries and everyone else to end trade restrictions on on sending uh, limitations on sending food abroad. And so we are in the process of working out with our European friends what it would be, what it would take to help alleviate 
the concerns relative to uh, food shortages. We also talked about a significant major U.S. investment, among others, in terms of providing for the need for humanitarian assistance, including food, as we move forward. So what exactly happened to Build Back Better? I think we've moved on from that, I guess. No more, uh, no more Building Back Better. Now we have winters of death. Winter of death going into a spring of despair. Food shortages. Now he says food shortages are coming. Last I checked, they've already kind of been here. And so that's, that's part of what is, is happening here, why Joe Biden's going around talking about food shortages, um, promising that things are going to get so much worse. And we've heard a lot. I, I, I've never heard, I, I can't remember ever hearing this much pessimism from a politician who's in charge of things. Now, it's one thing when you're running against an incumbent and then you're pessimistic about the way things are going right now. And then you say, well, elect me and things will be better. But for the guy who's actually in charge, who's this pessimistic about about the way things are heading? Um, Part of the reason for that, of course, is now he's trying to pin everything on uh, on Putin. And so he's saying, oh, food shortages are coming because of, you know, the war in Russia and Putin. And he's doing all this. But as I said, last I checked, that was already a problem. I mean, Joe Biden, I think fairly, was uh, getting labeled bare shelves Biden before the war in Ukraine. You know, you could go uh, on social media and find the pictures of bare shelves grocery stores going back months before any of this happened. So this, is a, this has been a, a great opportunity for Biden to take all of these things that were already happening, gas prices, inflation, food shortages, uh, supply chain issues, all that stuff, all that was already happening, was already trending in this direction, and take it all and just put it in the lap of Putin. That's why, that's why uh, you know, the Biden administration, very grateful, in fact, for what's happening in Ukraine right now because it gives them an opportunity to blame all of their own failures on Putin, all these things that were already happening. Now, is Putin's invasion of Ukraine, is that helping any of these issues? Is it helping gas prices? No. Is it contributing to some of the problems? Sure. But none of these things began a few weeks ago when... Putin's invaded Ukraine. We were already heading in that direction. And um, and now he wants to, of course, pin it all on Putin. You also get the sense, here's the most disturbing thing for me. Every time I, I see Joe Biden and I listen to him and he's talking about these problems, um, you, you get the sense, well, first of all, of course, that he's just confused and he doesn't know exactly what's going on because he does have dementia and we have a president with dementia. Um, that's what happens when you decide that an 80 year old needs to be president, but you also get the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't seem to care that much about any of these problems. There's no real, there's no real sense of urgency at all from this guy. That's why when all hell's breaking loose, he'll just go off to Delaware and, you know, take a a five day weekend. That's why he's still, he's still going to bed at seven 30, um, even in the midst of crisis after crisis. Some of that is, again, the fact that he is physically and mentally collapsing. Uh, but it's also, I think, a, a lack of urgency, a lack of concern. And that goes back to his own moral failings, but also that also could be traced back to his age. 
you know, uh, that I, I hate to always have to tie everything back to this and harp on this point, but it's an important point. And I think we need to keep it front of mind here. That, yeah, even if Joe, even if, if this was, if Joe Biden was 20 years younger, we'd still be having a lot of the same problems because he still, he still would be incompetent. But um, this is only making all of those problems even worse. The fact that he's so old. And I think it contributes to a lack of urgency and a lack of concern because, uh, well, frankly, he's not going to be around for very long because he's old. So I don't think he's sitting around really worried about long-term solutions. This is not going to be his problem for very long. Yet another reason why we need younger people in office, and not just in the White House, I mean in office, running the country. We need younger people so that they're more physically and mentally equipped, but also so that they have a stake in the future, so that they're going to be around to deal with the consequences of whatever decisions they make. And their kids are going to be around, and they're going to be around also to see their kids dealing with those consequences. It always makes me nervous, even more nervous, when I, when I consider the fact that so many of the people at the highest levels of government making the most important decisions are not going to be around to see the consequences of any of these decisions. I think that should make us all very nervous. You know, you have a, a president who's in his, you know, 40s, 50s, even 60s. Like, he's got several decades left probably on Earth. You never know for sure. No one knows when they're, when they're leaving. But um, he's, these are people who have decades left, and they're going to be around. Um, and that's a, it, it's all inevitable, the consequence of going into a nursing home and finding the most geriatric people and saying, hey, you want to run the country? All right, moving from the United States over to North Korea, I just got to play this for you because it's, um, on one hand, you, you can't help but laugh because how else Because how else can you respond to something like this? But then also you consider this guy's a ruthless dictator and he runs concentration camps and kills thousands of his own people. Um, so that takes away from some of the, the, uh, the humor, some of the comedic effect of this kind of thing. But, but either way, so this is apparently from, this is a North Korean state media. They put out this propaganda piece. And this is uh, uh, Kim Jong-un unveiling a, a new missile that they just launched. And they kind of put together a little, little hype video. And let's, uh, let's check this out. Let's see. We say Kim coming out of the... He's got his generals there. Oh, he's pointing. Those are the people he wants executed. He's pointing to them. Execute that person. Execute him too. He's gone. Now those generals... This is the fifth take and the first four generals in the video were all executed. And there's the missile. Now he's checking his watch. I don't know why. They're, they're getting... And all these generals, they know... This is, that's the most intense I've ever seen. Most intense scene of people checking watches I've ever seen. Oh, is that it? They don't even launch the missile? Missile? So that was just them bringing the missile out of the garage. 
I guess there's probably a sequel where they actually launch the thing, but we won't bother watching that. You know, they're trying. I mean, they've got... Um, they're doing what they can over there. I guess to uh, at least keep their, their dictator entertained. All right, let's go to this from the Daily Wire. It says, Actress Gabrielle Union is known for her stance on trans issues involving children. She and her husband, former professional basketball player Dwayne Wade, have a teenager who identifies as trans. This has inspired Union to become an outspoken advocate for LGBT issues, especially as they relate to kids. Uh, The actress recently expressed her thoughts during an interview with BuzzFeed. And she said, it's important for us to live and love out loud. We didn't exactly understand why supporting Zaya's trans identity, so that's Zaya's what they're calling their kid. Uh, We didn't understand exactly why supporting Zaya's trans identity was a thing because it's like we love all our kids out loud. Um, Their 14-year-old child came out as trans in 2019. Well, no, he, and I'm not even sure, Zaya, is this a a male? or I'm not even sure. So I'd like to use the appropriate pronouns here, but I'm not, I'm not even sure what they are. Oh, it's a boy. Okay. All right. So this is, this is actually a boy. Their 14 year old child, Zaya came out as trans in 2019. Um, so he would have been, you know, he would have been 11, 10, 11 around there when, when, uh, when, when he came out. So he, he didn't actually come out. That's, that's not what happened. I mean, you can't come out and identify as something that you don't understand. You don't understand what you're saying. This was an, this is an identity that was imposed on him. I'm not saying entirely by his parents, because it's probably not entirely by the parents. It's by friends, society, the school system, all of these various institutions. But the parents were were quite eager and anxious to go along with it. So then, so they could then take little Zaya and parade him all around in media and everything and show him off. And because here's the thing. Um. Zaya, quote unquote, came out as trans in 2019. And 2019 is when we first heard about Zaya becoming a girl, quote unquote. So they did, it's not like they waited. Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union, they didn't, they didn't wait. Like as soon as that happened, they had him in front of cameras. Boom. So if there was ever any doubt about the motivations here, that should put those doubts to rest. Um, if your child is supposedly coming out as trans and the very next thing you do is alert the media and get them out on the red carpet in uh, in dresses and so on and do interviews and everything, then it's very clear this is not about the kid, it's about you. Your kid is a trophy that you are showing off to, to display how woke you are. Um. Union continues, as our children show up, it's our job to believe them when they tell us who they are and not impose our dreams, hopes, fears, and desires on them. It's our job to be loving, compassionate, protective guides for our children, but their lives are their lives and we have to respect that. We do not believe in any kind of shaming for existing. That is bizarre, cruel, and harmful. So yeah, we're going to post our family. We're going to live out loud. We're going to love out loud. And we're going to speak out loud and lead in however each situation calls for us to be leaders when things are not where they should be. Uh, All right. A a, a couple of things here. First of all, even putting aside um, the issue of, of trans and the fact that you're imposing this, what sadly and tragically will probably be a lifelong identity crisis on your child, putting that to the side for a second... 
It is certainly not your um, 11-year-old child's job to be a leader on anything, on any issue whatsoever. Okay, I don't care what the issue is. I don't care if it's even a worthwhile issue. Um, your 11-year-old your 11 child's job is, is right now just to be a child and to learn and be educated, to uh, have some moral formation, which is supposed to be your job as a parent. You're obviously doing a terrible job of that. You've gone more the direction of moral deformation than moral formation. But no, your, job, your, your child's not supposed to be living out loud, as you say, which what you mean is, when you say live out loud, what you mean is on display for the world to see. Love out loud, that again is on display. So, oh, we're loving our children out loud. Translation, we are, our supposed love for our children is a performance. And we're doing this on a stage for the world to see. And as to the rest of it, uh, it's, she says that it's our, our, our children tell us who they are and it's our job to listen. I mean, this is, uh, in fact, I, I know someone who wrote a, a whole book about that concept called Johnny the Walrus, which you can also get at johnnythewalrus.com because that is the, that's the consequence. That's how absurd it is. Your job is to listen to your child when he tells you who he is? No, not at all, because your child has no idea who he is. Um, children are not born into the world with knowledge about almost anything. You, you have to teach them. Okay, you're, just as your child, it's not your child's job to lead in society. It's not your child's job to be a uh, an activist. It's especially not your child's job to lead your family. Now, you don't you don't follow his lead and say, well, he'll tell us who he is and what he wants to do. And well, we're just going to follow behind him, applauding him all the way. Well, then you're going to be following and applauding as your child goes right off of a cliff. Only the thing is, you're not going to jump off the cliff with him. You're going to stand at the edge and watch him fall and just applaud. There you go. Looks fun. No, you're supposed to say to the to the kid, even and sometimes they, they won't they won't like this because kids can be obstinate and stubborn and they want to get their way. Uh, so sometimes you have to be forceful about it. But you 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 stop your kid and say, no, 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 let me get in front. You come in behind me. I'll show you where we're going because you don't know. And that's what you need me to do for you. Because that over there is a cliff and you're a kid and you're stupid and you're going to think that you're just going to walk right over it and be fine. But I know better because I'm an adult. So I'm going to guide you on this path over here. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, I also wanted to mention this. This is kind of interesting. Terrell Germain Starr is a, I guess, a, a journalist. He's got a blue check on Twitter, so we know he's an important person. And he uh, tweeted this. He says, I've just started identifying as queer over the last four months. Does that make me the new queer but an old black? And then he continues. Because you're wondering, well, he's just he, he just started... He's just started identifying as queer. This is not the same thing as I'm coming out as gay. I've been gay my whole life and I haven't told anybody. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm living out loud, as Gabriel Union would say. No, I just started identifying as queer. Okay, what does that mean? He continues. I think most men, especially black men like me, who come out later in life, it's because we don't 
really know it ourselves. Also, I'm attracted to a wide range of women, but not men at all. So I, so I didn't know how to ID myself, even though I haven't felt straight in years. LOL. For me, embracing being queer was as much as intellectual journey as it was other areas. Just the way I think of structural oppression comes from not feeling heteronormative in my thinking about things. Okay, so he's only attracted to women. He makes very clear about that. Um, but he's attracted to a wide range of, of women. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, a wide range, or maybe he's attracted to, to larger women. Okay, that's, that's fine. Some guys are. They're still women, though. Um, and, but in spite of that, he hasn't... So you're attracted to, to women and only women. You're a man, but you don't feel straight. What does that mean? Does it mean that you, you also are attracted to men? No, no, you're only attracted to women. I just don't feel straight. I, you know, I have feelings. I'm a straight person, and I have feelings, and I'm assuming that the feelings I'm having right now are not the feelings that other straight people have, even though I only like women. Of course, none of this makes any sense whatsoever. But it does show a couple of things. Uh, one is how, you know, this... This LGBT indoctrination that's going on, we, we, we focus a lot, I mean, I focus a lot on how this affects children, how children are being kind of groomed and uh, indoctrinated. And that's true, and that's a big problem, but it's not just children this is happening to. It's happening to adults also. Adults also are being, in, in effect, groomed by this stuff and indoctrinated into it. Now, with them... It's a little bit different because they're they are more willful participants in their own indoctrination. Um, and the reason why he's going along with it is because you know it, it's also trendy. There is a there is a there are many social benefits of being able to say I'm queer. And the great thing is, if you're interested in those social benefits, the word queer that like doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, and so. You can claim that label for yourself, and uh, and no one's allowed to question it because it's your label. And now, if you're a man, you know you could still date women, but you can have all the social credibility of uh, of being LGBT. As far as Terrell's concerned, it's the best of both worlds. All right, here's another tweet. This one is from Representative Casey Weinstein, who's a state representative in Ohio, and I thought this was uh, this was good. He says in Ohio. You need a license to fish, but not to con- not to uh, concealed carry a gun. Think about that. You need a license to fish, but not to have concealed carry for a gun. Think about it. Well, I am thinking about it, and I actually totally agree with him that this is completely insane. Um, you should not need a license to fish. That's that's the conclusion I think we could draw from there. Now, uh, I say that as someone avid fisherman myself. I've fished in many, you know, five, six different states. I've never actually bothered to get a license. Um, But there shouldn't be the regulation that I have to ignore. I shouldn't be forced to ignore this regulation. It shouldn't be there to begin with. And since he brought up the subject, I mean, just think about that for a second. That if you want to grab a fishing pole and go to a lake or a pond and, you know, throw some bait in there, you you got to get a license from the government it's it's you know one of the many absurdities that you know that, that we tolerate in terms of the government just it's it's blatantly nothing but fundraising 
not, not much different from the red light cameras that they put up or anything like that. All it is is fundraising. Because the other thing about the fishing license is that if you do go get one, you, go to, you, know, you can go to any sporting goods store or whatever if you feel like getting one. Even though, again, it's, there's no reason to actually do it because I, while I've never gotten a license, I've also never, ever been asked to produce one. And I've never seen anyone be asked to produce one. Maybe there, maybe there are some lakes in the country where this actually happens. I've never encountered it. I've never seen it. But if you do go get the license, I know there's there's nothing to it. They just they'll you you pay them fifty bucks or whatever it is, depending on what kind of license you're trying to get. Um, you don't have to. There's no training. They don't they don't make sure that you know how to cast or anything like that. There's no training that goes into it. It's not like a it's not like a driver's license where they want to make sure that you're not going to kill somebody uh, when you're out there driving. Um, nothing like that. You just got to pay them, and then you, they'll let you go fish. Nothing but fundraising. So, inadvertently, Casey Weinstein has brought up a good point here. Get rid of the, the, the license to fish. Also, you shouldn't need a license to carry a gun around either. Okay, one other quick thing I want to mention. This is from a few days ago. Um, the DW has Nicole Hannah-Jones, a New York Times reporter and creator of the 1619 Project, riled up social media on Monday when she tweeted that tipping is a legacy of slavery. What reason does she have? I haven't read this until now, so I'm not sure what her argument is. Maybe it's a good argument. Not holding my breath. She's never made a good argument for anything, but tipping is a legacy of slavery, and if it's not optional, then it shouldn't be a tip, but simply included in the bill, she wrote. You ever stop to think why we tip, like why tipping is a practice in the U.S. and almost nowhere else? Um, okay, well, what's the, how do you connect it to slavery? That's what I'm trying to see. Hannah Jones, 45, created the 1619 Project. We know about that. Um, and I'm, I'm just skimming through to see if she actually gives a reason. How do you, like, I, I want to know, how do you connect these dots? And then she's, okay, then she's getting criticized on Twitter. She responds to it. She says, are y'all reading what I'm writing or no? I said, I tip, I tip well, I tip almost always. But I object to the idea that I'm obligated to tip no matter how I'm treated. Nope. And you can't get more offended at me than employers that pay less than minimum wage. So here's my question. Who is the slave in this analogy? Is it the, the person working for tips is the slave? That's how, that's, I figured that's what she meant. But then reading more, it sounds like she's saying that uh, we are turned into slaves because we're forced you know, by social pressure to give tips to someone who's already getting paid. I don't know. I'm not sure how she dissects that exactly. I'm not sure if I would say that tipping has a, is, is a, a holdover from slavery. In fact, I would say that it definitely isn't. I mean, quite famously, um, slaves didn't earn tips. They didn't earn anything at all. It's what makes you a slave. So I'm not going to agree with that. Um, but I do think, and I think we've talked about before, that although I, I, you know, I consider myself to be a pretty good tipper, I still tip in most situations. Um, tipping has, however, gotten way out of control. Everywhere you go now, they expect a tip. And um, whether it's a tip jar or now they get more aggressive about it and they actually will ask you, or now that everywhere you go that, you know, you have to pay on the, the iPad thing and then they flip it around and there's always a, oh, do you want, you, you want to leave a 15% tip, a 25% tip? Um, so I think it's gotten way out of hand. I think we need to stop for a second and have a conversation about tipping, not about whether it has any connection to slavery, but just what is the point of the tip? And which, which industry should have this and not? 
I can understand in the food industry. You know, a waiter, first of all, is not getting paid a lot, but also, you know, your experience at the restaurant is going to be so much determined by how good your waiter is. And so I understand the tip. And uh, it's also a way of rewarding really good service, penalizing bad service. So I understand it that way. But if all you're doing is just pouring a cup of coffee for me and handing it to me, like I could cut you out of that completely. Just give me the cup and I'll pour it myself. So I don't understand tipping for that. That's a conversation maybe we'll have another time. Let's get out of the comment section. Who's bringing shopping cards back to the rightful place? We're becoming saints here in the sweet baby gang. All right, we'll take a look at one video comment, which is clip eight. Hey, Matt. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to be featured in the video comments twice. That weird guy that made those videos that annoyed you did, but I think it might only be allowed if McKenna wants to annoy you. Anyways, um, I just watched Candace and I watched the water test and she took a sip from what said Aquafina before the signs were flipped down and said, oh, this is Dasani. And then when she picked up the sign, it said Dasani. But that's where Aquafina was. Candace is the cheater. Sweet baby gang for life. Yeah, that many nefarious things went on surrounding that that water test. Uh, we, we, I think we will never know the full truth. We'll never know everything that happened. Um, historians will be debating this for decades and centuries to come all, all the, and, and and you're right I mean what you pointed out there are it's it's if you if you watch it's quite disturbing I've had many people reach out to me and because first of all they want to know am I okay how am I doing and I appreciate that and, and the answer is I'm, I'm doing all right but I'm, I'm still I'm still recovering in a lot of ways from what happened uh, but you can notice some interesting things with the way the water test was was edited and some some cups are mysteriously moving around and signs are moving around. No one knows what's happening. Um, it would take too long to sort all out, but, but, but all you need to know is that, of course, I did, I did win. Uh, let's see. Frankie Price says, if your entire ideology can be destroyed by one question, it was never strong to begin with. Well, that, that's an understatement, but that's exactly the point. And that's why we made the film. What is a woman.com? Um, uh, Mark says it was very good of uh, KBJ, 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 there we go, to coordinate with your movie release. Yeah, it is. It, it really did. I mean, you can't plan it any better than this. Um, and it is. And I, I do appreciate that, at least from her. Lena says, I can't wait for the film to come out. I, I, uh, I hope you have a good contingency plan in case some social media platforms kick you out. Well, there's no real contingency plan. I mean, that's just right now anyway. That's the unfortunate reality is that um, the most powerful social media platforms are the ones that are run by the left. And if they if they kick you off, which I think there's a pretty good chance that will happen to me. I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet to me. Um, it's inevitable that eventually that will happen to me, just like it will happen to any conservative who's outspoken and has a platform. I think with this movie coming out, like I said yesterday, I don't, I don't, I don't see how all of my social media platforms survive the release of the movie. Not that they have any good reason to kick me off because of the, the movie, but doesn't mean they won't do it. Uh, but in terms of a contingency plan, what do you do instead? I mean, just the, the reality is 
they kick you off. And uh, it doesn't mean that you're erased from existence, but that will succeed in cutting you off from a certain portion of an audience. And there really isn't any replacement right now. I think we should work on building some, you know, building some social media platforms um, where you can actually say things like men have penises without being kicked off. We like that should exist and we should work on that. And I know that there are some platforms that are out there where um, you can say these sorts of forbidden things without being, without being uh, canceled, but none of them have anywhere close to the power of a Twitter, Facebook, or any of that. We're we're far away from anything that could be considered a real alternative. A real, whatever you want to call it, free speech alternative, conservative alternative um, to Twitter and Facebook. That doesn't really exist yet. And part of the reason for that is that most of the, uh, the wannabe alternatives that have come along, you know, they... They are focused too much on just being the conservative version of Twitter rather than innovating something new and giving people a real reason to leave and use their platform. Now, we heard a lot about Truth Social, which is Trump's platform. And as far as I know, he hasn't even posted on it himself. I think he posted on it himself when they first launched it a month ago and hasn't posted on it since. Um, and at a minimum, he needs to be posting on that thing all the time if he wants any chance of, that, of it surviving. But well, the problem is, you know, I, I took a look at it, and and it, it's just it's just Twitter. It's like exactly the same as Twitter. There's no innovation going into it, and so there's just not going to be the incentive for people to go and try that product instead. Um, trust me, says now Candace Owens has to apologize to Matt. How can she be so slanderous to him in his cult when he is doing such amazing work? And to think that the slander came from bottled water—that's almost as ridiculous as not being able to say what a woman is. Maybe we need a new documentary. What is Dasani? Because you know. She obviously can't tell. But as you've heard, you know, I've been working on a secret project for over a year, and it is called What is a Woman? There's a a lot more to be said about this and that will be revealed over the coming weeks. Uh, But what I can tell you is that this is the most important question of 2022. And I think, and and though I'm biased, I think that uh, this really is the most important film of 2022 as well. Take a look at this sneak peek. I have traveled all over the world for the past year asking one simple question. What is a woman? What is a woman? What is it? What is it? I don't know. <laughs> People are laughing. Is that, is that a dumb question? <laughs> I've been asking everybody this, and almost nobody can answer it. What is a woman? What is a woman? That's a great question. If one person could tell me what a woman is, Congressman, thank you for, for being here. I think this interview is over. Let's turn off the cameras. I just wanted to know what is a woman. And you're not going to find out. It's not a complicated question. What we're doing here is we are questioning the logic of the trans movement of gender ideology. We're going right to its core um, and because it's a movement that's taken aim at women and children. If you want to join the fight, head to dailywire.com slash subscribe and enter code what is a woman for 25% off your membership. Uh, like I said, if you haven't got a membership yet and you've been holding off and you've been thinking about it, now's the time to get it. You're going to want to see this film. And we got a lot of other great content too at Daily Wire and a lot more coming up. So get your 25% off. Use code what is a woman 
This fight is for everything. It's for truth itself. What is a woman coming 2022? Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, it's Friday, so we're going to go easy on our daily cancellation. I don't mean go easy as in be nice. I definitely won't be nice. Um, That's one promise I can make and always keep. It's my undying pledge. But uh, I mean, you know, have sort of an easy subject. There's a headline from the New York Post which cries out for cancellation, I think. And I need to do very little except just sort of point in its direction. The headline, How I Hacked Tinder and Dated 15 Men in 21 Days. Now, reading along, it says, With the Tinder Swindler, a blockbuster success on Netflix, many women are wary of matching with a man online. But one Australian woman says Tinder is the perfect place to meet Mr. Right and is revealing the simple hacks she uses to maximize chances of success on the app. I'm going to stop right here. There's almost no reason to read anymore. Um, We have all we need, I guess. But let me just say at the outset, first of all, that I'm I'm already canceling this woman and whoever wrote this article simply for the way they're using the word hack. Because somewhere along the line, this concept of life hacks came into existence. And now the internet is pockmarked with 14 billion different articles, guides, videos, different, you know, things, giving advice on how to hack various aspects of life. We used to just call this advice or tips. Now it's a hack because hack sounds more secretive and clever and edgy, like it's some sort of forbidden knowledge. But then the advice, the hack, is often something incredibly basic that everybody already knew. Like, um, here's a life hack. If you don't want to trip while you're walking down the steps, tie your shoes or else it goes the other way. And the hack actually offers a more complicated and inefficient way of performing some routine task. So it'll be something like uh, life hack. Make sure you don't lose your car keys by having them surgically attached to your hand. So the, the whole life hacking trend is stupid, and, and it is what I'm saying. And we could cancel just that, but that's not the primary point today. In this particular case, the life hack is a method discovered by an Australian woman for how to, quote unquote, date. I think we know what she means when she says date 15 men in less than a month. Now, I can already tell you how to achieve this goal if for some reason you want to. I'll give you the step-by-step process for dating 15 men in 21 days. One be a woman. Two, have no moral standards. That's it. Those are all the steps. In fact, you could probably um, hack this hack and remove the first step entirely, which you really have to, seeing as how women don't exist. But really, if you're if you're any sort of person looking to date any other sort of person, you can find an essentially unlimited supply if you have no sorts of standards whatsoever. If you're a warm body looking for other warm bodies and you are unburdened by any moral sensibilities and have no aesthetic requirements either, the internet will provide you with all the fodder you need. And you don't even need to be a warm body, actually. Pete Davidson is basically dead, and look how well he's done on the dating scene. This is the world we live in now. But then again, you know, I'm a married man. I've never used Tinder. What do I know? So let's go back to the article and see what tips and tricks this woman offers. I'm guessing she offers a lot of tricks. Offers them, turns them, etc. Here's what it says. Helen Chick, who hails from Sydney, says dating is simply a numbers game and boasts that she had Tinder dates with 15 different men during a recent work trip, a three-week trip to New York City. The serial dater, who has penned the book Sex, Swipes, and Other Stories, divulged how she managed to meet so many men in such a short period of time. Chick declared that everything comes down to time and urged Tinder users not to procrastinate while on the app. She said it's important to get small talk out of the way quickly so that you can meet up in person as soon as possible. Quote, change your location prior to arriving in the city so you're basically matching people in a city you're not actually physically in, but you can do all the tedious small talk, banter, vibe checks, etc. before you arrive, she advised. 
For those who are hoping to date locally, Chick further divulged her hack for cutting down on small talk. The savvy swiper said she divides conversations into two categories, need to know and nice to know. The latter consists of lighthearted, trivial topics, while the former is focused on determining a person's morals, goals, and values. Chick claims conversations should be focused on the need-to-know category so as to quickly figure out whether two people are compatible prior to putting energy into a date. By the way, um, she wants to know about your morals and values specifically to ensure that you, like her, don't have any. And, and that's really her life hack. She dedicated a whole book to it. Her advice, um, don't bother talking or getting to know someone. Just cut right to the chase, get in bed with them, and move to the next one. So in other words... It's exactly the two-step two step process I mentioned at the start. Be a woman, have no soul. In a pinch, the first step can even be skipped. Now, there's one other bit at the very end that you'll find totally shocking. It says, Chick is twice divorced, and she says that that fact is a part of the need-to-know category. She always shares that personal information before an in-person meetup. Twice divorced. Who could have possibly predicted? Twice divorced and writing a relationship handbook. That's like me writing a book on fashion tips. And that would be a short book also. Chapter one, wear plaid, the end. Now, if I may be so bold as to disagree with the um, multiply divorced relationship guru who collects venereal diseases like their souvenirs, I would say that the correct approach to dating is precisely the opposite of what she recommends. Now, sure, this does somewhat depend on your goals. If you're, if you're an empty, miserable lonely nihilist who has despaired of love and trust and meaning and now wishes only to use other human bodies like glorified masturbatory devices, screwing the days away until you die alone and cold with no one to mourn you and no legacy to leave behind, then Helen's method is the way to go, no doubt. But if you actually want some kind of joy and you care about things like human dignity, um, your own and other people's, and if you want to have actual love and happiness in your life and you want to leave this world knowing that your time was spent in a meaningful way and that your progeny will live on even as you move to the hereafter, if that sounds more appealing, then your best bet is to consider the Helens of this world and the way they approach these things and do exactly the opposite of what they do. You're not looking for raw numbers here. The people you're dating aren't bowling pins that you want to simply lie down so that you can collect the point and win whatever game it is you think you're playing. The goal of dating is to find one person, a person who shares your basic values and priorities, someone who you find physically attractive, that's important also, um, someone you, you feel a connection with, and then once you've found that person, that, that, the game's over, you won, move on with them and build a life together in marriage. This means you're not looking to uh, get talking out of the way when you first meet them so you can jump in bed together. Jumping in bed with them doesn't tell you anything about them other than the fact that they're the kind of person who does that. So it actually tells you a lot, which means they're probably not the kind of person you want to marry. But then again, you also would be the kind of person who does that and means you're the kind of person people shouldn't want to marry. So best to skip that step or rather to hold off on it until the proper time, which comes within the bonds of marriage. And instead, focus on getting to know this individual and who they actually are and what they believe, what sort of person they are. You don't need to know everything. You don't need a list of every quirk, every habit, every last detail. You don't need to know things like, uh, do they have any annoying habits? They do. I can tell you that for sure. You just need to know about their moral character. Can you relate to them? Can you trust them? If everything lines up, you can both, you know, you, both of you can free yourself from the clutches of the modern dating scene, which is infested with people like Helen, and move to the altar, which is supposed to be the end point of the dating process. 
And you can live then, maybe not happily ever after. There will still be ups and downs, bumps and potholes. But certainly, you'll be living much happier than Helen, who is today, of course, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven.